Hi, I'm Alan Altman. And I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. I went searching for the truth, but to my innocence I found all the common and their acrobats who stomped me in the ground. If I count up their percentages, I know they're getting rich, but they haven't taken everything those paybacks are a bitch. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Billy Joel A to Z. Today, we are talking about the song Getting Closer. Getting Closer is the ninth and final song on Billy Joel's 10th studio album, The Bridge, and the third and final duet off of that album, this time with little Stevie Winwood. Getting Closer was only released as a B-side to our first podcast song ever, A Matter of Trust, and released on July 9th. 1986. Elon, where do you believe Christopher Bonanos from New York Magazine put this very little Billy Joel unclassic? I think this is like number 89. Oh, you're way off. 111 out of 121. It is at the bottom. I kind of wanted to go that low, but I thought maybe Bananos would like because uh, I think he kind of liked the Ray Charles duet a little bit. And maybe he likes Steve Winwood. I didn't think he'd go that low. This is just two so- two ranking numbers over a cité trois. He does not care for this song. In fact, he calls it repetitive and plotting. It is definitely plotting. That is a great <laughs> way to describe the nature of this song. Uh, Glenn Gamboa from Newsday puts it at 91, only a marginal higher. And the fans... Rank it even lower at 117 out of 121. The fans hate this song. How do you feel about it? Uh, You know, it's a really tough one for me. Uh, I was not looking forward to the song in any way, uh, but in re-listening to it, I didn't hate it. You know, when it first came out, I think I liked it a lot because I was a very big Stevie Winwood fan. And I really loved the, as they just kept talking about, the Hammond B3 organ. (laughs) I mean, that's all they would ever talk about. Stevie Woodward, the Hammond B3. And for those, uh, you know, so I like that organ kind of sound. And I loved Stevie Winwood at the time. And he was huge at the time. So I liked it when it first came out. I, you know, listening to the bridge as a whole during that time on my Walkman. I always I did kind of enjoy the song, but it's certainly not a classic. Yeah, it's like every artist has to have their song about how they're getting screwed by the music industry. So, like, of course, Billy of anybody, Billy deserves to have one song where he can just let off some steam. One song. You ought to be ashamed (laughs) of yourself. I have never seen an artist have so many artists that we love that we feel is versatile, have so many songs about getting screwed by his management. It's hilarious. No, he has other songs about getting screwed, but not as not specifically about like the management like this one is. It's very overt. He's talking about the industry screwing him. I don't think the other screwed songs are are this explicit. I don't know, Elon. I feel like this is his crimes and misdemeanors in the sense of like uh, Woody Allen goes, 
Eve makes Hannah and her sisters. He's like, I'd like to try and mix comedy with drama. And he makes Hannah and her sisters, which is really good. But then he perfects it in Crimes and Misdemeanors. So he'd been leading up to talking about how much he hates his management for so long. And this is the pinnacle of like, now I'm just going to go for it. Just say, I hate you, Artie Rip, which I can't believe is not in the lyrics. Yeah. And it was good timing for him because I think as part of getting out of the Artie Rip deal, Artie got to have uh, royalties on Billy's first 10 albums. And this is the 10th album. So this was like the final FU to Artie Rip on the last album that he would get some money off of. I can't even believe that he was still getting money off the, the bridge. I, I didn't realize until I was doing that. I'm like, wait a minute, really? No wonder he was pissed off. And no wonder he wrote that. The, this would be the end song. What I feel bad about is Stevie Winwood, that he was like, oh, I got to be on this one about your management. Yeah. He's like, what about that? Uh, that code of silence? I heard you recording yesterday. That was kind of <laughs> cool. Maybe I could join you guys on that one. Well, the worst part is, is that Billy Joel was a huge Stevie Winwood fan because Steve Winwood had been around as a 14 year old boy. Yeah. In, a real in prodigy. Bands. Yeah. A prodigy. Exactly. And Billy Joel was a huge, huge fan. So he couldn't wait to work with Stevie Winwood. I feel like, you know, between, well, I think he gave Ray Charles a good song, but I feel like he didn't give Stevie a good enough song for your hero. Yeah. And I feel like with the Ray Charles one, he clearly wrote it with Ray Charles in mind. I don't know that this song was written with Steve Winwood in mind. I think it just kind of was like, Hey, you know, an organ would be cool on here. Let's just like, Let's riff on this and we could have a cool instrumental in this and it'll be great. It's funny that you said you don't know whether he, he there's no way he had Stevie Winwood in mind when he was writing this song. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's got, a, you know, it's kind of bluesy in, the, in that Steve Winwood way. No. And the way he sings it kind of <laughs> sounds a little Steve Winwoody. No, I think he decided he was doing the bridge, which he's mentioned that bridges all these things. He was going to do an album where he was working with other people, which he'd never done before. And Stevie Winwood was on the list and he had already written the songs. And he's like, well, this will be good. <laughs> yeah, I think it's like a symptom of this whole album process. Like at, at this time, I think the recording process wasn't fun for the band anymore. It felt very business like. And I think Billy just was like, I got to bring in some outside help here to kind of spice it up. So he had to bring in like Ray Charles and Winwood and Cindy Lauper. It's like a stale marriage bringing in like a threesome, you know, trying, trying to like do something to, to get it going. Yeah, remember we heard about Code of Silence. He bought Cindy Lauper in to help him with the song. He had already had it done. Yeah, he like barely could get through it. This is only a nine track album. I mean, this is and look, this is a song uh, he never has played live. OK, so it's not like a song he cares about, really. He's already ripped on other songs on the album, like Running on Ice. He thinks was terrible. Like he, he, he does not love this album or the work he did on it. He felt rushed by the record label to put something else out. But I, I think he did write Baby Graham for Ray Charles, though. I think that's that the one, one he did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was like a, one of those inspiration, like one night writing processes. Yeah. So this song, he's always talks about how like this was him getting close to the truth. And he was like, aha, I know my manager's screwing me. And then within a couple of years, he sued his brother-in-law and manager, uh, Frank Weber, for $90 million. <laughs> sued him for $90 million, only settled for eight. But that's not so bad. It's, uh, it's so funny. <laughs> it's just, you know, you just feel like rockers just write about girlfriends. But this guy... He just loves writing about management and getting screwed. I'm sorry. I, it's really funny. It's exactly what I'd be doing. <laughs> I know. He's, he's always airing his grievances. It's always Festivus for Billy Joel. <laughs> <laughs> the tradition of Festivus begins 
with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now you're going to hear about it. Well, I got to tell you, though, with Steve Winwood, though, so, you know, I mean, I thought that back in the High Life album, I think that the, the whole album was called that was with Higher Love at the beginning of that. I, I, I listened to that album nonstop. So it was around the same time. They're both in 86. And that's what I had on my Walkman at the time. So I loved Stevie Winwood. Then I went even back further to his catalog, kind of the way I did with Billy Joel with the uh, after the nylon curtain went back to turnstiles and things like that. Obviously not that far back <laughs> since I never heard a lot of this stuff before, <laughs> but yeah, that I did the same thing with Stevie Winwood and got that arc of the diver album and uh, uh, talking back to the night, I think, cause it had, when you see a chance of Valerie, which were so amazing. I like, you know, he did a different kind of keyboard songs. I was obsessed with my little Casio keyboard and he just, you know, had this unbelievable grand electronic keyboard sound. That was amazing. So you went back into his solo career. You didn't go back to listen to like Traffic and Spencer Davis. No, couldn't care less. Yeah. <laughs> Hate that music. I mean, this guy wrote Give Me Some Lovin' when he was like 17 years old. Uh, I had real... no idea. I just found that out today. I mean, I love when these guys are like so young. Like he was backing up like B.B. King when he was probably like 10 years old or something. Whenever they were on tour in England, they had to use local musicians. And, and this little kid was doing it. I, I had no idea he wrote and sings on Give Me Some Lovin'. I mean, I must have heard that song a hundred times. I had no idea it was him. Yeah, he's one of these people who's like a legend. But when you think of like all the hits he's had, they're not not too many of them come to mind beyond higher love, really. That's like so massive and even has recently had another cover by like Kygo, who's like a current artist. And that I think, again, went to like number one. Uh, that whole that album had about four uh, three or four songs on it, which, again, was rare for somebody like him who usually had one song off each album that was a hit. But, you know, it made him a huge, a huger star. Well, you know what he did? He. He went to he went. I think he feel like he went to somebody and said, I how do I get bigger? And he went to a guy that works with Michael Jackson and Madonna and went to New York City. And I think that's where Billy knew he was in town. I uh -huh. think that's how it I think that's how this song came together. And remember, they when he came in to record this song, they played for like six hours. Just really? traffic. Yeah, just for traffic and blind faith songs, because Liberty DeVito was a huge Stevie Winwood fan huge and he he was so huge that he knew the mistakes that some of those bands the drummers made on the album oh, like ginger baker like hit the wrong the symbol yeah. wrong or something yeah that's how much of a fan he was and stevie winwood loved it and was you know really happy about it and was had the best time they played for six hours without uh, before even recording the song that makes a lot of sense actually because when you watch that building the bridge documentary where they're um, showing them playing this song, uh, Liberty DeVito looks super happy and like really pumped up and he's singing along. And when you also hear that during the bridge, like the band was kind of just coming in to do their parts. I wasn't like hanging out as much. It was kind of strange to see how happy he was. But obviously this is the Steve. Winwood well, I, I can tell you the exact story of why he was happy in Liberty DeVito's high school yearbook. Somebody wrote, if you keep practicing, you'll someday get to play with Stevie Winwood. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So apparently since high school, this guy had been waiting. I mean, the guy's working with Billy Joel already, but yet 
uh, Steve Winwood, it was apparently everybody's here. I guess if you're a musician and like you said, him being a prodigy, you know, he was the guy. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And it's cool that like Winwood became famous so far before Billy Joel and his band. And he's <laughs> yeah. only like a couple of years older than him. Yeah. like he was it's so crazy. young that right. he was around for almost 20 years by the time they recorded this song. And, you know, and Billy, you know, also was around for a while in the 70s. Yeah, but, like, but, but Steve Wynn was already a huge, like, kind of star in a bit with a hit song when Billy Joel was in Attila. You know? Right. Yeah, he was. <laughs> it was insane. He's like he was an established star in like three bands by the time he was like 20, basically. Like he was already in traffic at that point in time. And uh, it's kind of like some comic. It's like looking at someone like Dave Chappelle, who became super famous young. You know, and like had reached some pretty high heights of his career already at that point. Right. Well, Dave Jessica was working at the Chuckle Hut and bought Dave Chappelle on stage the first time when he was in New York. <laughs> <laughs> Did you really? You, you brought him on stage the very first time? I believe that is the case. Was he like 16, 15? I think he was 17 or 18. Wow. And um, yeah, I think I told you that story. We were on the uh, Caroline's Comedy Hour together and we were doing something at NBC and I told him that uh, when it was going to air, I thought it was airing this Sunday and he went to a phone booth and called his mom. He was so cute. (laughs) (laughs) He was a good boy. I bet you went to him after his first performance. Like, listen, kid, I know who has it and who doesn't. And you (laughs) do not. Of course I did. You know, I did. (laughs) No, otherwise he'd hate me probably. But uh, we're we're good together. We like seeing each other. He's very he's been actually very kind to me over the years. Good to hear. I I thought we'd. uh, Look at some of the lyrics because they are hilarious. I mean, when you're dating Christy Brinkley and you're writing songs just about Christy Brinkley and then you write something like this, (laughs) it's really funny. And there's so much more. I mean, I can't even believe these are the lyrics. And I never even knew when I heard this song a hundred times in the 80s. All the con men and their acrobats who stomp me in the ground if I count up their percentages. I know they're getting rich, but they haven't taken everything. Those paybacks are a bitch. Who writes something like that? Who usually writes love songs? <laughs> and he's going blue with the B word. Yep, that's right. And then and then it just keeps on going. What was ripped off? What was ripped off by professionals is not all that it seems. While I must live up to contracts, I did not give up my dreams. I mean, it's just so I've never seen a song like this in my life with lyrics just stick. I'm a mark for every shyster from Topanga to Berlin. And I'm glad he mentioned that girl from Boy Meets World in it. Yeah, that bitch. And I should have learned to kick them out as soon as they crawled in. So to every bank in Switzerland that stores my stolen youth, I'm all right, because despite the laws, you cannot hide the truth. Oh, my God. I actually think that whole line is related to his family's history with the nazis i think that that one to me go hear me out i think that goes beyond just his issues with the music industry like so his grandfather was like a very prominent textile magnate he had a big business in germany selling mail order textiles and then the nazis in the 30s basically stole his business from him and the family had to flee to cuba and then to the u.s just to get away from all of this and so basically you know, that's where I think the Berlin thing comes into play. And then the mention of the banks in Switzerland or these Swiss banks that took all these Jews money from before the Holocaust and wouldn't give it back to them or their descendants afterwards because they didn't have like the proper paperwork to show that so-and-so had died in the Holocaust. And that didn't get resolved until the 90s. But in the 80s, when Billy's writing this and he had done a lot of research on his family's history, I think that this line is 
not just about his own getting screwed. It was about his whole family getting screwed two generations earlier in the 30s. If that's true, then these this is the funniest song of all time. I mean, it's the most hilarious song that a <laughs> that a guy who wrote Uptown Girl wrote that this, all those managers is his management fucking him over. And then the Holocaust, that's like the the strangest song ever written by, you know, again, a guy that writes pop tunes. <laughs> Well, Dave, it's time for the trivia portion of the show. Do you have a stumper? All right. I do have a stumper. Again, poorly written, poorly worded. And I hope we can get there from the way I put it together. Okay. I can't even believe that I had no idea that little Stevie Winwood wrote Give Me Some Love. The original song, I mean, the original version of the song appears in a 1999 and one of Dave Joska's favorite romantic comedies of all time as a chase to the airport moment. Now I figure you're not going to know which movie. So that's not the question. The song also appears in a cover version of another just gal movie classic from 1980. That has a small portion of the Billy Joel song. We probably mentioned most on this podcast, and we actually used it as a soundbite on this podcast. A few episodes ago. Can you name the song? Oh, okay, not even the movie in 1980, which I, I is the Blues Brothers. It is the Blues Brothers. I didn't think you'd get it, so I didn't okay. bother <laughs> wasting your time. But now I got to remember what song, what Billy Joel song we used as a soundbite. Yeah, we talk about it all the time. It's not easy money. No. Oh, that don't go changing. That's right. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I just put it in a soundbite like two episodes ago. Where it's like, That's right. Yeah, right. Don't go changing. And then they, he puts on the tape and he's like, but don't go changing or, or I think he says, don't go changing, not just the way you are. That's why you've got it wrong. It's all it's all Dan Aykroyd's fault. Yeah. Well, yeah. Who says it, though? It's Murph Murph and the magic tones. Oh, great. (laughs) You're marvelous. Thank you. I'm Murph. And these are the magic tones. Steve, the Colonel Cropper, Donald Duck Dunn, Willie Too Big Hall and Tom Bones Malone. We'll be back with the magic tones for the Armada Rooms two hour disco swing party after this short break. Till then, don't you go changing. So, Jay, you're out, you're free, you're rehabilitated. What's next? What's happening? What you going to do? You got the money you owe us, motherfucker? And then he puts the uh, tape on and it just is a recording of uh, just the way you are. Look, I said it the right way this time. So what's the movie in 1999? Uh, It's Notting Hill. (laughs) Ah, Yeah, I was going to say, is it a Danny Boyle movie? No, it's Notting Hill. It's my favorite movie. It's one of my favorite movies ever. And when they have the quote chase to the airport scene, it starts with, you know, that's the one, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's all whether you have to go find Julia Roberts at her press conference and he's got to make up and say, humble Hugh Grant. I've been a daft prick. If if for saying what I've said, I was the person in question was a daft prick and got down on his knees and begged you to stay. Would you stay? I, yes, I believe I would. Well, that's very nice to hear. The readers of Horse and Hound will be very happy to know. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe I know all the lines, but I yeah. do. None of us are surprised. Anyway, I think you got the trivia question correct. I'm sorry I worded it so weird, <laughs> but we got there. I liked it. I liked it. Now, I have a question for you. I think this is totally in your wheelhouse. because This be. is about 80s pop music. Yes. All right. Steve Winwood's single, Higher Love, 
hit number one on the Hot 100 in 1986 for one week. It was preceded at number one by a Madonna song and then followed the next week by a Bananarama song. Can you name one or both of those songs, either the Madonna or the Bananarama song that also were at number one? Okay. The Bananarama had to be Venus. Yes. Because that was their, nothing else went to number one. They had another hit, but Cruel Summer, but I don't think it went to number one. The Madonna hit in 1986. That would be after Like a Virgin, before Vogue. Uh, not the Desperately Seeking Susan song. I've got the timeline that's 85. Would it be, oh, is it from the Sean Penn movie? Um, it's not Who's That Girl. Is it Who's That Girl? No. Um, is it from the Sean Penn movie? Uh, is it a slow song? No. Um, is it a classic? Well, I guess it was. It's number one. Yeah. You want one other hint? Yes. Okay. It was covered in the mid 2000s is it like a prayer no it was covered in the mid 2000s by the daughter of okay okay we said daughter is it uh shit is it uh is is, is it daddy fop shit what is that song (laughs) oh yeah i'm I'm missing i'm missing up uh the george michael father figure to this one i i i can't think of it what's the name Papa don't preach. Papa don't preach. As soon as you said the daughter, I it, it right came to the my classic head. Kelly Osbourne version. Right. Papa don't preach. I think that isn't that off the like a prayer album though. Is that eighty six? I got the timeline right now. From the album True Blue. True Blue. True Blue, baby, I love you. I forgot about that album. Which I think everybody had did. "Open Your Heart," La Isla Bonita. Oh, oh live La to Isla. tell. Which one? what would you just say live to tell oh lived oh my god that was a huge album god it's like four or five singles off one album i don't even remember that album and yet i remember every song off it i didn't remember the title did i say living on a prayer i meant like a prayer right yeah you didn't say living on a prayer oh okay because uh <laughs> as you know that's my favorite song of all time that would have been quite a don't go changing moment you got that right All right, it's time for the Weird Alon Song of the Week. And today for Getting Closer, we're doing Getting Wendy's. Really, the only word for it is. Sounds good to me. Do you know that? Hungry. Well, I just ordered Wendy's the other night because, I, you know, my, my throat has been sore. So I thought a Frosty would be a good plan. And then I was like, well, might as well get a double, a double cheeseburger and a baked potato. And then, of course, you know, why not order the nuggets as well? And as I was eating all of it, I was, you know, even though I know it's bad, I was like, no, it's for medicinal purposes. It's OK. Right. It's good for your psyche. That's what I tell myself. So I love this song already. It's already making me hungry. This song basically just describes exactly what, what you oh, were Oh, sorry. Through. I didn't mean to spoil it for you. No, it doesn't. But it's like perfectly uh, it's about your life. I feel like I didn't oh. think of it that way. But like the way you just described what you just did is like is what where this song is going to go. All right, great. I'm supposed to eat organic after my third heart attack. Only low fat and low sodium go jogging at the track. But after three straight weeks of salad, I am feeling so depressed. So I sneak out to that redhead girl whose burgers are the best. Though my doctor will kill me, I just can't turn it down. Ten nuggets of Frosty, the best chili in town. 
I know I should eat some healthy food, but I'm getting Wendy's, getting Wendy's. I'm in a spicy chicken mood, so I'm getting Wendy's, getting Wendy's. Hey, now. That was one of your best ones. (laughs) (laughs) I loved it. That was really fun. Makes you hungry, too, right? Yeah, well, I'm starving. It is lunchtime. So I basically I basically mentioned the foods that you just said you ate. <laughs> we had a frosty. We had nuggets. You didn't say chili. Well, I, don't I think you said chili. So I try not to get the chili when I get the baked potato. I, I try not to get the chili because it's too much. So I just get the bacon and cheese baked potato instead of the chili and cheese. Although last time I added chili, I, went to. I don't <laughs> want to talk about it. But it is making me hungry, and it's embarrassing that I like that. Of course, I like that song so much. God, I'm so easy. <laughs> well, look, any parody about food is just going to be good. We've learned that from Weird Al. <laughs> uh, good point. A guaranteed hit right there. Have you ever seen, uh, There's like, on YouTube, there are these training videos that were made for Wendy's in, like, 1990. And they're, they're like, rap songs. There's a couple of different genres, but mainly it's, like, rap about how to, let's say, make the chili or how to serve the burgers and they're so catchy it's like the best corporate training videos you've ever seen no i'm gonna look them up immediately when we finish but uh, no i never seen them before that sounds amazing i can't even describe how how good these videos are do they show them making it i mean is it delicious too it's delicious oh, and the lyrics <laughs> describe everything about uh I, I can't i mean i think we'll end up probably putting in a little sound bite of it here i just have a feeling okay Soft drinks, lemonade, water, cold tea, it's up to you, it's up to me. Cold drinks come in four cups, gotta know the size before you fill it up. Biggie, medium, small, kids meal, keep it straight, it's a good deal. Use the scoop to fill with ice, never use the cup, take my advice. For soft drinks, fill the ice halfway, no matter the size, that's what I say. Tilt the cup and push against the lever, keeps the foam down now, isn't that clever? If there's still foam, let it settle down. Don't pour it off or your boss will frown When you reach a quarter inch from the top That's where you want to stop If the customers say they want to stay Put the drink on the left-hand side of the tray If the order's to go, put the lid on tight Make sure it pops to do it right Then hand that drink to the coordinator And tell the guest you'll see him later Because you're going to like it so much You're going to say maybe we should do a podcast about these songs <laughs> Instead of Billy Joel That does sound right It sounds like me Well, folks, that was Getting Closer. If you like our podcast, be sure to go to Apple and give us five stars. We release new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday, so make sure you hit subscribe so you never miss a single song. Follow us on social media at Billy Joel A to Z and give us some feedback. Are you craving Wendy's now? Do you believe that Dave is right, that Wendy's can be medicinal? I don't think that's right. Do you also like the movie Notting Hill? Who else is a sucker for a good Hammond B3 organ? And can you name other songs about being pissed at your management? Until next time, I'm Alan Altman. I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. 